How many can say you're going all the way? Going all the way with the Lord. Amen. Let's just bow our heads. Father, we love you. We appreciate you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done for us, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace, Lord. Your love that compasses us, your love that takes over for us in the middle of our faults and failures, Lord, you're more than enough. We thank you, Father, for your grace that you bestowed on us, Lord. We ask, Lord, tonight that you would just come and move upon our hearts and touch our lives, Father. Make us more like you in every way, we pray, Father. Lord, we just commit our lives unto you, our hearts unto you. Everything that be, can be said or done unto you, Father, may it be for your glory and for your honor. Lord, no doubt if there'd be hands that were lifted, they'd be lifted all over this building, Lord, representing needs and situations in our lives, Lord. We truly are a needy people, but we serve a great God for our needs. Lord, we just thank you for the healings that you brought in our midst, Lord, and the deliverances. And Lord, the angel of God that walks among us and speaks to us, Lord, and talks to us, tells us everything's going to be all right. God, what a confidence that is, Lord. We just ask that you would take these words and these thoughts, Lord, and, and our insignificant, Lord, and humanity, Father, and under your control and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 10 and also Romans 9. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I said it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Wow, I just so enjoyed the Easter weekend meetings and and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon our lives. It's a place we really enjoy being. Amen. In His presence. Amen. Uh, then the Wednesday night, last Wednesday night, just wonderful. And Sunday as well. I was away at Brother Jason Jackson's uh, church. His, his youngest daughter got married. And so we was part of that wedding. And, and uh, Brother, Brother Danny Steeman ministered there that Sunday. Had a wonderful time there as well. And bring his greetings back to you. Amen. So let's just look at this, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Also, Romans 9 and verse 13, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Amen. Let's let you be seated this evening. I'd like to speak to you again on casting down imaginations and also on the stronghold of formalism. On the stronghold of formalism. We, we spoke on this the last time. I'd like to continue this thought. And, you know, as, as our scripture says, as Christians or as believers, we're to cast down imaginations. Amen. You know, mind battles that comes in our mind and wars against us. And, and you know, maybe different avenues that he can come at you. But we know that we are to take those thoughts and those thoughts, any thought that does not line up with the word of God is not God's thoughts. 
And so we're to cast those thoughts down. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, even if our own mind or own intellect would try to exalt itself above the Word of God, we are to bring it back down into the place that it belongs. And bring it into captivity every thought. Can somebody say every thought? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, we're living in a world that is not obeying that scripture. Uh, and their thoughts and their thinking is on evil continually, and they're exalting the things of, of hell, the things of the, uh, of the dimensions of hell above the word of God, and, and, they're, and, and they're bringing a certain atmosphere into the world that we're living in. And we can read about that in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, and I'm going to read out of the Amplified because it's very interesting here. It says, but understand this. That in the last days will come or set in perilous times of great stress and trouble that is hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by inordinate greedy desire for wealth, proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive. They will be blasphemous. They will be scoffers disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanders, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled, fierce, and haters of good. They will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they hold a form of piety or true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people and turn away from them. Amen. So we see a people whose minds have went to the place to where they no longer can control their thinking. They no longer control their thoughts until they, they become uh, uh, very abusive or proud or, or arrogant or blasphemous or, or scoffers and, and become false accusers and troublemakers and, and all the things that take, but yet having a form of godliness. You know, that kind of puts it in a different language or a different thought because in our minds, we would look at those people and we would think of them as being those out on the streets and, and doing all the rioting that's going on. Amen. But these are actually people who have all these issues and all these things in their hearts and their lives, but yet having a form of godliness. And, and, you know, and having a form that their religion is just a formality. It's a, a formality. I'm, 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 I'm going to appease my Christian duty. You know, I, I'm going to go and do something for the Lord. Uh, you know, uh, it was a, it's, it's kind of a, a almost, it's so, so crazy. It's humorous in a way. But there was a man that actually used to attend a message church. And, and he, he had disappeared on the weekend. And they asked him, you know, what, where, what, were you okay? Everything all right? And he said, yeah. He he said, I've been serving the Lord real hard, so I took a weekend off and went and got drunk. That's, that's you know, their, their thought of spiritual religion or, or religious duties. Amen. We want more than that. Amen. And so, you know, these kind are very carnal, although they put on the air of being spiritual. 
and yet in their hearts, they're very carnal, and their minds are very carnal, but yet on their mouth, as they would speak, you would think maybe there's a very spiritual person, but if you would look on the inside, you would see really what the darkness that's really on the inside of them. And very, you know, and these same people are very quick to judge, but they don't want to be judged. You know, they're very quick to see a, a moving of the Holy Ghost and God falling upon the hearts of, of, of sisters or brothers. And they're very quick to look at that and say that's an evil spirit. But on the inside of them, they don't want to be judged. They don't want God to have preeminence in their lives. And on the inside of them, they have all of these carnalities. And, and this carnality brings to the forefront complexes and pride that is what guides them. And yet, all in, in the pretense of religion. And But if their religion is more about themselves and how they think God should operate. And if God didn't come through the channel of their humanity or their complex or their human restraint, then it can't be God. But God don't, don't always work that way. God goes beyond our thinking. He goes beyond what we thought our little boxes it would be. And he goes around that many times and he what we call blows our mind. Amen. It goes past what, what you know what we can think or ask. And I, I'm grateful to serve a God like that. I'm glad I don't serve a God that's only he's only he can only operate the way I want him to operate, or he only can move the way I feel like he should move, but he can go wherever he wants to, however he wants to, fall however he wants to, and God can move upon hearts and lives very freely. And I want a God like that. But you know, I saw this statement that I thought was very interesting. It says, formalism is an impersonal outlook which misses the point where the things of God are concerned. It actually diverts people's attention and affection from, from what's important to what's unimportant. It diverts their attention from the wine to the wine skins. Amen. From the moving of the spirit to what to their own feelings or what they're comfortable with or their comfort zone. Listen, God wants you to get out of your comfort zone. He wants you to get out of what you think is in order or what you think is church order. Or, or you know, uh, you know, even Brother Branham would talk about it. He said, I hope you can get out of order just long enough to get long enough to get saved. But people are so caught up in their own thinking and their own concepts of what order is. And, and many times it's according to their complexes or it's according to what they think or their own human failures or their own human understandings. But we can see the spirit of formalism all the way through the scriptures. We talked about it in Cain and Abel as Abel and Cain would begin to worship and, and Abel's offering was accepted by God because of a spiritual revelation. But Cain looked at that and he had the opportunity opportunity to go get a lamb. He had an opportunity to offer the same sacrifice because God said, you know, if thou doest well, you will be accepted. God gave him the opportunity to have that same kind of worship, but he refused it. And in doing so, not only did he refuse it, he would take it and he would take a stone and he would kill Abel right there at that altar. And you know, we see it all the way down through the scriptures. We, we read about it here as we, in this script, very short scripture that we read about Jacob and Esau, in the scripture would say, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. You can watch the same spirit of formalism go right on down, all the way down through Balaam, all the way down even to Judas, all the way down through the church ages, all the way down to the ending of the age. 
And we see it, though, working in the people. And, and it's trying, what is formalism trying to do? It's trying to stop the moving of the Spirit of God. It's trying to hinder the freedness of the Spirit of God. It's trying to put it in a certain chain or a certain box and in a certain realm. And that's the only way it can operate, but God doesn't operate that way. God will fall down in 120, amen, in the upper room and get them so drunk that people would think they're drunk on some wine, amen, but see, it was beyond their human ability and their human thinking, but it was how God had orchestrated it and how God wanted to do it. And I'm so thankful he's a God that he'll do what he wants to do, even if, even if it isn't what we want. Or even if it isn't what somebody else wants. But God can move beyond the walls of human thinking, beyond the walls of human understanding. But we see, you know, it's amazing. We see a world that's so quick to judge a situation. And we see it is not, you know, it's not no more innocent until proven guilty. It's guilty until maybe you didn't do it. You know, and we see a world so quick to cancel people, you know, with this cancel culture and totally silencing anything that's sane or anything that's a sensible voice. And that spirit of judgment wants to come into the church of God. And it wants to judge the spirit of God. And it wants to judge the fruits of the spirit. And it wants to judge the manifestations of the spirit. And it wants to judge it very quickly, amen, without even seeing what the fruits of it is. And meanwhile, you know, these same ones have sins and unbeliefs and, and, they have, and, and they have sins, but yet they're holding stones. You know, uh, you know there was a man one time went to a, a, a brother and, and, and actually you'd know, the, you'd know him very well if I called his name. And he went to his church on a, on a Sunday and he came from a, another church that was real formal and didn't have a whole lot of worship in it, and he sat there and criticized their worship, and criticized their music, and criticized what was going on, and, and you know, and, and, and the brother, the pastor takes him out to, uh, to eat there afterwards, and begins to talk to him, and he begins to open up to him, and tell him about what's wrong with his church, and what's wrong, you know, to the pastor, and you got this wrong in your church, you got that wrong, and the music was rock and roll, and all this stuff, and this pastor looks at him, and says, on a certain, certain day, at a certain, certain time, he was looking at a certain, certain website. He said his head just dropped. See, they have sins, but they got stones. And they want to stone the people of God. And, and just like Cain did against Abel, because, you know, what is it? They don't want their sins judged. Amen. But, you know, as we see, though, the carnal is once again rising up against the spiritual church of God. And it's trying to kill the influence of the spiritual church of God. They're mocking the spiritual moving of the Holy Ghost. They're mocking the moving of the Holy Ghost. They're mocking the moving of, of uh, that the God could fall down in a congregation and, and someone could speak in tongues and someone interpret it. They're mocking that. They're making fun of that. They're mocking, amen, a man getting up behind a pulpit and begin to pray and the anointing of God fall upon his life and he begin to say things under the unction of the Holy Ghost and they're mocking that. What is it? It's the carnal church rising up against the supernatural church. Brother Brandon would talk about this in the Ephesians and Sumerian age about the carnal and the spiritual. And he would talk about the cycle of revival and death has never failed. 
He said, you talk about the last move of God and the, uh, in the spirit when men and women dressed like Christians and they went to church and they prayed all night and they took the street corners. They, weren't, they were not ashamed of the manifestations of the spirit. They left those old dead churches and worshiping homes or old store buildings. They had a reality. But it wasn't long to a time they began to get enough money and they built fine new churches. They put a choir instead of singing unto God for themselves. They put gowns on the choir. They organized a movement and ran it by man. Oh my. They soon began to read books that wasn't fit to read. And they let down the bars and the goats come in and took over. And the cry of joy was gone. The freedom of the spirit of God was gone. But they kept with a form. They kept with the form, but the fire has died down, and the blackness of ashes is all that is about left. Amen. <laughs> oh, it's a form of what used to be and how it used to be. Right. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget it when we had that, that family camp over there uh, for, a first, for those few years, and, and that Nazarene camp, and I believe it was one of the very first years one of the men that was working there came and was a part of our, one of, of our services and sat there right there in the back and just cried and cried. Goes out and tells one of our deacons, said, we used to have services just like this. You know, they had a marker there on that place. I believe it was a Buddy Robertson that ministered there. They used to have the movement of the Holy Ghost. They used to have the manifestations of the Spirit, but they begin to clamp down on it and say, well, guys, this is out of order. This is, not, this is not what we want. They didn't want their lives judged no more. They didn't want God moving freely. They didn't want God casting out devils in their lives. You know, somebody wants to say that, well, that's an evil spirit. Well, I, I, I agree. We had some evil spirits here. They manifested out in lives, but they were everyone cast out. <laughs> That's what the power of God does. Amen. But see, he said he goes in the Sumerian church age. He says the church has departed from what she originally was. She's now a hybrid. The church nominal is a hybrid. People say I'm a Baptist. It wasn't so in the beginning. I'm a Methodist. It wasn't so in the beginning. Now, it's a, I'm a message believer. Let's don't make that just a cliche. That's more than just a form. That's a, a life. It wasn't so in the beginning. Instead of the straight word of God, instead of spirit-filled men in the church who were led by spirit-given revelation, there were now creeds and bylaws and educated guesses of educated men. Learning has taken the place of revelation. Reason has taken the place of faith. Program has taken the place of spontaneous praise in the Holy Ghost. Oh, now we see what the problem is. It gets in the way of our programs. We want to sing two songs, take up the offering, sing two songs, and have the minister come out. We got a program. What about the Holy Ghost? Let him get beyond your program. Let him get beyond what you expect on a Wednesday night or, or a Sunday night. Let him get beyond what we think. We get so programmed. You know, we got to get up on Monday and do this on that. We, we're programmed. You know, we're programmed on our phones. We're programmed on this. We're programmed on that. Program, pro. God doesn't do programs. He doesn't do man-made creeds and man-made dictations and man-made dogmas and man-made ways of how to run a service. God will go right beyond all of that. 
It wasn't so from the beginning, he says, but the whole species has changed. It's become a hybrid church. The church becomes hybridized. Will it produce pure Christians? It can't. The seed or the life that brings Christians to birth is not in them. Like brings forth, like brings forth like. So, I mean, if you want God to bring forth God, you got to have God there. You know, a dog brings forth a dog. Cat brings forth a cat. Human brings forth a human. That can be debatable sometimes, but that's supposed to be what's supposed to be. Humans bring forth humans. God brings forth God. Amen. But he says, like brings forth like. So Baptist brings forth more Baptists, and they act like Baptists. Methodists bring forth more Methodists, and they act like Methodists. Yeah, that's why we, we see people, amen, continuing right on. They, they say, well, I'm a message believer, but they're continuing right on as a Baptist. They got their programs. They got the way they're supposed to be and how God's supposed to act, how God's supposed to orchestrate things. And apparently it doesn't matter if I come to church when the doors are open. I'm a Baptist. Yeah, I'm a Methodist. I got my methods. But apparently God has changed his methods and it no longer matters, you know, about our dress and the way we act and the way, you know, but I'm a Methodist. You're showing who you really are. You may come to this church, but you're showing who you really are. Amen. Methodists, they act like Methodists. Not one is known by the power of God, nor can they be, for it's not there. They're known by their ceremonial worship of God and their creeds and dogmas. He said, talk about a hybrid. You know the most famous hybrid in the world has been for, with us for ages is a mule. It's a, and it's a cross between a donkey and a horse. He's a funny kind of animal. He cannot produce himself. He has no life that can do that. Yet talk about work. He can outwork anybody. But he's stubborn. Uh-oh. Oh, man, maybe we need to preach on the stubborn, the stronghold of stubbornness. Amen. A lot of you wouldn't be living with devils as long as you have. You wouldn't so stubborn. Because there is a power here to cast him out. Amen. Because we got to get beyond our stubbornness and our, our wills and our wants and our way. It's not about what we want. It's about all he wants. Stubborn, never can trust him. Oh. He's a perfect picture. Good lands to go a long, a lot of ways with that. Help me, Lord. He's a perfect picture of a hybrid religion, a cross between, between truth and darkness. For the horse is a true type of the true believer. And he says, mix them, and you have a sterile, formal religion. It hasn't the seed of life. It is dead. It can talk about truth, but it can't produce truth. It doesn't have God in its midst. Yet it gathers together. It talks about God, all the while systematically denying the power of God. They will deny the word in the very name of the Lord, and there's never any hope for them. Talks about religions and organized religions, how they died. They'll never come back. He talks about it and reads the scripture in Exodus, the 13th chapter and the 13th verse. He said, every firstling of an ass 
Thou shalt redeem with a lamb. If thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break its neck. And all the firstborn among men among thy children thou shalt redeem. He said, see, the donkey can be redeemed. Every miserable sinner can be redeemed. By the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Or in rejecting Christ, be rejecting himself. But you don't redeem the mule. There's no redemption for him. There's no blood for him. There can't be because a mule takes refuge in the church while the donkey takes refuge in the blood. The mule has no seed in him that can be quickened, but the donkey has seed. Oh, they had seminaries. They fill them with professors who taught the word of God in order to destroy it. He said he read an article that was written by an unsaved businessman. Now listen to it, unsaved businessman, not a Christian. He said he was amazed at the churches and he could not understand them. He said they had seminaries filled with professors who taught the word of God in order to destroy it. Now then, this man could not figure that out. He was appalled by it. He said that he could understand the atheist or the communist or the free thinker or somebody else doing that. But when the church itself destroyed the word of God, it was tantamount to the premeditated murder. He said, there is your hybrid religion. Wake up, America, for it's too late. And I'm here tonight to say it's too late, America. He said, when the church gets away from the word, it will believe anything. And when you get away from the word, you'll believe anything is okay. Anything is all right. Because why? You have left the absolute. Without the absolute, you have nothing to hold yourself with. So... Going back to the Ephesian church age again, he talks about how what had happened there. They had left their first love. But he says, I want you, I want you to understand something that the must realize that the Spirit is not speaking to just the original saints at Ephesus alone. This message is to the entire age. It's a message to all generations in that span, and, it keep, and his history keeps repeating itself. In the generations of Israel, we see revel, revival in one generation, only the fires to fade. What have we seen? We've seen a revival taking place. Now it's up to you to keep that revival, to keep adding another log to the fire. To keep adding to it, not not let it diminish in any way, but keep saying, God, I want more of you. I believe that ought to be every desire. I don't care if you've been in 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 serving the Lord for five minutes or 50 years, 100 years, whatever it is. Every day ought to say, God, I want more of you. Amen. I got to have more of you. I, I got to have more of you revealed unto me. He says, well, you'd see it burn down, and God would light the fire again, and go on. You start out with truly born-again believers, and the next generation comes along. They're no longer just plain Christians. They've taken on a name, Baptist, Methodist. They're not Christians. So you have to be born of the will of God, not the will of man. But he said, these folks are all coming together now by the will of man. He said, but what happens? The original fire had died down. The fervent desire to please God was gone. The passion to know his word was gone. 
the cry for the reaching out in the spirit. God, I, I want you to move. I, I need you to cry for reaching out in the spirit. It all begins to fade. And instead of that church being on fire with the fire of God, it's cooled off and become formal. That's what happened back there in the Ephesians. They're getting a bit formal. The abandonment to God was dying out. And people were beginning to be too careful about what the world thought of them instead of what God thought about them. And it's very easy when you see people that's worried about what the world thinks about them. Sisters start painting their face, start cutting their hair. Men start wearing these all kind of fads and fashions. Why? Because you're worried about what the world thinks about you. Not about what God. You don't paint your face to go meet God. You do it to meet men. But we get to where we care less about what God cares about us and more what the world cares about us. And it shows in our attitude. And so, you know, you know, think, well, my kids, my kids are, are, are doing these things. What, where did it come from? You know, I was, I was challenged in a church one time. I said, you know, you want your children to have spiritual worship and to worship God and to live for God. I said, that all starts with you. Parents. And your attitude towards Christ will have an everlasting effect upon your children. But when mamas are going around what daddy says and destroying the structures of home, amen, you can't expect anything different. The bars have come down and Satan is coming into your home. When it thinks more of conforming to the world instead of conforming to God, it isn't long until you see them stop doing things they used to do and start doing things they wouldn't do initially. They change their manner of dress, their attitudes, and their behavior. They get lax, which that's what Ephesus means, relaxed drifting. But going back to our scripture here, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Why was this? Before these boys was even born. God saw what was on the inside of them. Amen. The, 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 the placing that was there and the seed that was there. And Jacob was born with this inherent desire. I want the birthright. I want everything God has for me. I don't care what I got to lose. I don't care what I got to do. I don't care what, what if I got to die. I could care less. I want what God has for me. But Esau, the formal church, amen, the carnal believer, he was willing to sell it out for peanuts. Right. A, a, a bowl of soup. Now, my, my wife, she loves soup. Me, it's not my favorite thing to eat. Dead of winter, maybe I like it every once in a while. But it sure wouldn't be something I'd trade for. Maybe a steak, you know, if I was Esau. Soup. Are you kidding me? But it shows you how, how trivial people will give. Take in exchange for eternal life. What are you getting? Well, Brother Timothy, I got a, I got a drawer full of makeup, and I, I got these clothes, and I, and I got my hair cut like I wanted, and I got my pants like I wanted. I got my hairstyle like soup. Oh, come on now. 
nothing but soup. Nothing but porridge that's going to fall into the ground and be gone and decayed one day. We're talking about eternal life. And the spiritual church will say, God, I want all you got. I don't care if it cleans my closet out. I don't care if it cleans my car out. I don't care if it cleans my life out. I want all you got. He longed for the birthright no matter what he had to do to get it. Just so he got it. <laughs> he didn't care how he had to get it. That birthright is what he wanted. No matter how he got it, just so, so he got it. If he had to get down the altar, scream and cry and boo-hoo and snot. If that's what it took, I want it. Listen to this right here. He said, some of them say, Brother Branham, them people down there boohooing at the altar and crying and crying, I don't want it that way. Well, you won't get it. He said, there was a colored brother down in the south one time, was always happy. His boss said, what makes you so happy at the time, boy, all the time, boy? He said, I got that heartfelt religion, boss. He said, ah, there's no such a thing. He said, you made one mistake. As far as you know, there's no such a thing. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost don't fall no more like that, Brother Timothy. He made a mistake. As far as you know, the Holy Ghost don't fall like that anymore. Amen. People don't get drunk like that no more, Brother Timothy, as far as you know. They don't get drunk like that no more. But as far as I know, and what I have witnessed, God's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. As far as you know, he don't still heal, and he don't still save, and he don't still deliver. But as far as I know, he still does. As far as you know, he don't show himself visible. But as far as I know, he still does. Hallelujah. He knew different because he had the experience. You know, I mean, people are very quick to pass judgment on something. Some girls get drunk and they get what we call out of order and they pass judgment on that. Well, my, you know, my generation was taught better. Maybe your generation needs to be taught how to receive the Holy Ghost. How to be subject to a husband. How to be subject to a pastor. Get those things right, then talk about your generation. I'm saying that very specifically. But as far as you know, God don't act that way. I say, let's wait and see what the fruits are. Because if it's the Spirit of God, it's going to bear the Spirit of God for the fruits of God. He said, one day, he said, I, I want to get some of that heartfelt religion. And, oh, he said, well, when do you want it? 
He said, right now. He said, well, let's go get it. Listen, it ain't got to be a specific service. It ain't got to be a specific time. That's the devil telling you that. You want it? Let's go get it. You want deliverance? Let's get it tonight. You want the Holy Ghost? Let's get it tonight. You want healing? Let's get it tonight. You want deliverance from that spirit? Let's get it tonight. God's still in the delivering business. We put limitations on God. Our formality puts limitations on God. But with a God that I serve has no limits. He has no power, no limit to his power. He has no limit to his healing. He has no limit to his, oh, glory to God. He is God, and he changes not, no matter what man may say. So they walked out to the outside, and he said, hey, there's a hayloft right there. It's real nice and comfortable. So the wife won't hear me or anything. He said, that's the way people want it. They want it, you know, hand them on a platter where they can be comfortable. God wants you to get out of your comfort zone. That's what Laodicea is all about. Be comfortable. Lukewarm. You know, be comfortable. We don't want it too hot. We don't want it too cold. Be comfortable. That brother said, old brother said, you don't get it there. No, you won't get it there. He said, well, went down to a stall. I said, what about here? It's a nice horse stall. Some great horses here. Will we get it there? Nope. Will we get it over in the corn crib? Nope. Where did he get it? He said, follow me. He said, he went out to the barnyard, pulled up his pant legs and walked out in the pig pen. So he got up to his knees and the knees in the mud and the slop. He said, come on out here. That's where you get it. He said, I don't want to come out there. He said, then you don't want it yet, boss. You don't want it yet. But when you get ready, it'll be here for you. Hallelujah. All God needs is a willing vessel. I said, God, no matter how it comes and how it may be chills, it may be crying, it may be snotting, it may be dancing, it may be just sitting there and I can't say a word. I don't know how to be, but no matter how it is, I want it. I, whatever I got to go through, I want it. No matter where I got to go, I want it. I want Christ in my life more than anything in this world. wasn't the point that he had to be in a pig pen to receive it. He had to be willing to do anything to get it. Getting past his formalities and, and his comfort zones and, and what he thought the way the Spirit of God ought to operate and say, God, well, however it is, I just want to be willing. But he talks about the spirit of that birth of those two boys that are still representing the world today coming to a head. The spiritual believer and the carnal believer. No one could say they wasn't both religious. They were. They didn't say that, didn't say that one served an idol and that one served God. They both served God. But he said, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, will enter in. You know, he'll come to, he'll come to him and say, Lord, did we not do miracles in your name? Did, did we not do these mighty works? And he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. 
What? He knows everything that happens. He knows every flea that bats his eye. He knows every hair on our head. Or that used to be on our head. He knows everything. He knows every tick. He knows every, uh, the most minute detail. He never knew. No, you never allowed me to be your Lord. Relationship. I never knew you. Well, he knows I come to church. Sure he does. But has he known you yet? Has there been a real relationship, a life change? Some of your fathers today maybe said, I want this revival in my home. Let it start with you. Amen. Right. Mamas, let it start with you. Yes, let God know you. Yes, See, he said if Jacob had one thing that he wanted because according to the word, the blessings and the good things laid in the birthright. Jacob, that was his only objective, the only thing he had in mind. I've got to have that birthright. And Esau was ashamed of it. He despised it. But Jacob wanted it regardless of how he got it. He wanted it. That's the way the, super, the spiritual believer is today. He doesn't care how much you laugh at him, how much fun you make, how ridiculous he has to act to the carnal mind. His only objective is the birthright. He wants to get to God because it's born in him to get to him. Hallelujah. I can't help but do what I do because it's born in me to get to him. There's a seed on the inside of me that says, I got to get in that presence. Jacob means supplanter and deceiver. But he comes into the possession of the birthright which led him into the presence of the angel. And he was changed. Carnal, changed. Then he was called not longer Jacob, but Israel, a prince with the Lord, who's wrestled with him. The carnal believer, you know, as long as I go to church, as long as I you know, do my duties, what difference does it make? He said, that's the Esau group. He still makes fun. He still despises the birthright. He doesn't care for it. But Jacob loved it. Amen. The spiritual man today and the spiritual woman today that's elected, predestinated of God to come to eternal life, if they have to sell everything they got, if they have to take their name off of every church book in the nation, they still want that birthright. It's the only thing that matters to them. Get that birthright. No matter how, what level they have to come to, if they have to get down the altar, cry, boo-hoo. If they have to run through the place, go back and make things right, sell what they got, give everything away, become a pilgrim and a stranger. It doesn't matter. They want the birthright. That's all that they're interested in, the birthright. He said, don't blame them. They can't help it. They were predestinated to that, elected to that. Hallelujah. I thank God for his election. I think about it every day. He could have put me on any continent. He could have put me in any family. But he put me in a family that believes the word of God. To be raised in a spiritual home, in a spiritual atmosphere. Amen. A seed of God placed on the inside of me. Not by my natural birth. But by election. Listen, young people, it wasn't by chance you was put in this church. 
It wasn't by chance you was put in the family you was put in. You say, well, my father's really not my father. That's not by chance. God orchestrated that. God placed it. People can make fun. They can do whatever they want to. God did that. Amen. And if God did it, there ain't nothing the devil can do about it. listening and watching The Chosen thought it was very interesting how the Philip would tell Matthew as he was dealing with all of his complexes and his ways un- uh, weird ways and strange ways I don't know if Matthew was really like that but I know there are people that's really like that Amen. he's trying to figure it all out and why would God choose me and Philip would tell him, it don't, don't matter why. Right. It matters that he did. Yeah. Yeah. The devil wants you to get hung up on why. Why did this happen? Why is it? Why am I like that? What matters is God predestinated me and he elected me and he called me for this place and for this purpose. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter why I'm like this. Why, why? That's the devil trying to get you into that. What matters is God said, you're mine. God said, you're my daughter. You're my son. You're my child. That's all that matters. But we see it as we talked about all the way back to the Garden of Eden. One of wisdom and one of life. One of carnal one of spiritual. Cain and Abel, both of them religious. One of them desired life eternal. And he offered to God by faith a more excellent sacrifice. He said it's a perfect type of the church today. The church spiritual. And the church natural. Cain and Abel. He said there's no doubt but what I'm talking to both classes right now. Perhaps by tape we'll talk to tens of thousands of them. But look, the church natural, just the church is just a church carnal. They'll never be able to get above that little thing. I'd go to church. I'd join church. I'm doing the best I can. That's all God requires. That's the same thing Cain did. He went and done the best he could. He said, God, take it or leave it. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to have Cain religion. No, sir. Lord, I go to church. I've met the best one I can find. I pay my dues. I do what's right. Here's the best I can do. I help pay some widow's bills. I, I give children clothing. Them's all right. Nothing against that, he says, but that's all. That's it and that's all. If you want it, take it. If you don't, you don't have to take it. He said that's the attitude of the church carnal today. Amen. But the church spiritual. Able by revelation, by grace, he seemed beyond that. And by faith, he offered God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And it testified of his righteousness. The same place took place in Ishmael and Isaac. One was of the flesh, one was of the spirit. One was of the bondswoman, one was of the free woman. It happened the same thing with Israel and Moab, two great churches coming together. Israel was wanting to go to their promised land. Church spiritual. Jacob's people, Israel on the road. Esau's people met them. Moab, a powerful church. 
great leader of the church, Balaam, came down to curse them. But he found he could not curse them. He failed with the blindness of his eyes to see the predestinated plan of God. And to see the pillar of fire that was among them. Here Israel comes up to the promised land. Headed to it. Believers. Believers. And here's Moab. Not infidels. Believers. Actually believers in the same God that Israel had. Come out to try to curse. But they couldn't do it. Great nation. Here, the, Israel was just trying to get to the promised land. Balaam builds altars. We heard about it here in our meetings. Balaam, Balaam offered seven sacrifices of clean beasts. Israel offered seven sacrifices. They were as far as they could take it ritually. Moab was just as religious as Israel was. Esau just as religious as Jacob was. Cain just as religious as Abel was. But it was the election that's what holds. He said, how blind of Esau's children, spiritually speaking, the Moabites looking down upon Israel. Look at them. They're, they're, just a, they're, they're not a denomination. They're a bunch of renegades. They live in tents. We're, we're, we're a great nation. They've done evil. They have no organization. They're just wigging around following the prophet. But they fail to see the brass serpent. They fail to see the smitten rock going before them. They fail to see that called out, elected group following the divine order of God to the promised land. That's the way it is today. They say it's a bunch of holy rollers. They say it's a bunch of fanatics. They say it's just a bunch of Pentecostals. They say that it's just all of this. It's nothing of God. But they fail to see the pillar of fire world. They fail to see the angel of the Lord stepping out and speaking. <laughs> he said, Jacob, he said, the reason he chose to find that birthright and he wanted to get it because he knew that that birthright held all the blessings. The Holy Ghost entitles you to everything. Healings, deliverances, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. All the things. It held life. He didn't care how it come, just so he got it. That was the main thing. Let me go on down here. It's a wonderful sermon. Now you can go and listen to it. been listening to it, hearing and receiving and acting. But I just want to get, want to get into a couple things before we just bring it down. But there's a true anointing, true anointed, and a false anointing. And it's followed, and once again, carnal, spiritual, uh, you know, human abilities, God abilities. It's, it's the twins of every revival. And, and, and Brother, Brother Brandon would preach a wonderful sermon that would bring a lot of clarity to this because there's a lot of questions that can arise in minds because, you know, people can get anointed with the Holy Ghost but yet not have the Holy Ghost and do things and work signs and miracles and all those things that can take place. He said, see, it's not false Jesus, it's false Christ. They believe they're anointed, but they know they're not Jesus. See, that's too plain. If a man went up and said, look at my scars, look at my brow, I'm Jesus. Well, that, we know that'd be wrong. But Jesus said that them guys would appear. He said they would appear false Christ or false anointed ones. He said, remember, I've always told you there's three classes of people, three races of people, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, three races, three classes, make-believer, believer, and unbeliever. 
It's always been and always will be. There was Moses, the believer. There was Janus and Jambres, the unbelievers. And there was Balaam, the make-believer. Remember the unbeliever, the, un the denominational church? They don't believe in any signs at all. They're cold, formal, starchy church in the world, the denomination. But the make-believer is that shuck. He might believe in signs. Might believe in some things. But it puts a hold on God. He said, notice, and this is what's striking to me as I read this, because I've actually witnessed this in these last few meetings I've been in. He said, notice how bold these unbelievers and these make-believers are. They're bold. He said, look, even at Satan, <clears throat> he said, he stood right up in the presence of the true word and said, it is written. It is written. Why does Satan do that? Because he knew he didn't know the word for that. He knew, the word, he knew the word was for that hour. But he doubted this humble man being that word. He said, if thou be I, the son of God, I know the son of God is coming. If thou be, he'll give you angels charge. See, he said, see, do a miracle. Let me see you do it. See, he said, see the unbeliever, make believer. Amen. The believer. Look at Judas right among them. Same time, make believer. But he said, how bold they are. They'll say, now, don't pay no attention to that nonsense. It's just a bunch of noise. Listen where the prophet of God's putting these statements at. Just a bunch of noise. There's nothing to it. It's all in your mind. See what I mean? Stand right in the presence of the word and say it. I'm not too sure some have not stayed set right in the presence of God. And looked at the moving of the Holy Ghost and blasphemed. And called it an evil spirit. The prophet of God had more wisdom than that. You know, he, he, would, he would see something break out and this woman begin to break out in the dance. And he would look at it and he would get very critical in his heart. And he'd criticize it. He'd make the the thoughts that come through his mind, they're turning my church into a tavern, bar room. Because apparently it wasn't very much in order. Apparently it was way out of order. He said, but I wouldn't say anything. He said, because they might be right and I might be wrong. And then before the whole, you know, the story ends, he's up there, up there dancing along, just right out in the wild dancing. But people are very bold to get in the presence of God and call it an evil spirit. I would wait till I seen the fruits of it. I can tell you this, I've seen the evil spirits and they're pretty easy to identify. When they begin to speak out. And they begin to do things that's uncommon. And you realize that's an evil spirit. It's easy to identify. But sometimes God will act in ways and do things and anoint and move. And it's God. And people are very bold to say some things against it, not realizing they're voicing their own complexes and they're voicing their own humanities. And if they ain't careful, they blaspheme. He said, see, in the God of this evil age, he would talk again about the, the church, 
the age of deceit. Said all the way from the Garden of Eden all the way down, there's never been an age now so deceptive now as this age. False prophets will rise and show signs and wonders, if possible, to deceive the very elect, if possible. He said, now, just a cold, formal, starchy churches and so forth, a made, man-made theology that wouldn't the elect would not ever pay attention to that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Notice that. But it's up there almost like the real thing. Just leaving out one word is all you have to do. The promise of the age, very great time. Christians everywhere, take heed to the hour that we're living in. He said, what would God call a people out of this evil age for? He wants a bride. When she's made manifest, been tried, been proved, amen, to Satan that she's going to stand. No matter what goes on, no matter what happens, she's going to stand. He said, see the seed that fell on the ground, it comes to the carriers all the way down to the church ages. The same way the seed of deceit fell on the ground in Eden, same way that ends up in the last days. He said, just the gospel when it was fell on the denomination of Nazi in Rome, it ends up in a super organization. He's just, just the same, the seed of the church fell back there in the first days, down into the ground it went with signs and wonders and a living Christ among them. It'll end up in the last days under the ministry of Malachi 4, restored back again to the original faith that was once given in the first age. Same signs, same wonders, same God, same manifestations, same power, same healing, same deliverances, same everything. God's not coming from a, for a cold church. He's not coming for a formal church. This church, the church God is coming for, has the fire of God in her. Because it's written there in the, in, in, in the church ages, there in the revelations, he that walks in the candlesticks, we know the candlesticks, seven licks going down into one base, the original fire lit that, amen, and it, and it would go from one age all the way to the next age, the same original fire, the same original Holy Ghost, same God working, same signs, same wonders. So he's coming back for a church with the fire of God in it, the light of God moving in it, the signs and wonders being made manifest, the spirit, the manifestations of the spirit at work. Did you hear me? It ain't an evil spirit. It's the manifestations of the Holy Spirit at work. And it does not matter how many ministers say it don't work no more. You know, that which is perfect has come. So that which is part is done away with. Do you understand what that means? We've been taught very well. We have the perfect. So we have all that's in the perfect. So we don't just have part no more. We have all of it. We have something that's worth being in a revival about. Listen, we see a bunch of world that's being, in a, they're, they're being lifted up into a revival. Amen. They're out in the streets. They're knocking down doors. They're, they're in a revival of evil and a revival of sin. Don't you know there ought to be a church, uh, the real church, the church of the living God, also in a revival, also in a lifting up. We're not going down into the ground, church. We're going up. And he's not coming back for a formal church or a formal person. He's coming back for fire. Let's bow our heads. He said, when a man or woman is set under creeds and cold formal religion, if he's ordained 
to be a son of God. And he sees the word of God preached in his power. And God vindicates it. He's an eagle to begin with. He'll run to it as sure as two plus two is four. He can't help it. Because his very nature loves the word of God. And he's not going to sit under some dead creed and some dead dogma. But he's going to move to the light. He hears the eagle scream. He said the book of, he said the true, Christ and the true church is the continuation of the book of Acts. But the book of Revelation shows how that Antichrist spirit will come into the church and defile it, make it lukewarm, formal, and powerless. It exposes Satan, revealing his works, attempted destruction of God's people, and the discrediting of God's word right down to the time he's cast into the lake of fire. He fights that. He cannot stand it. He knows that if the people get the true revelation of the true church and what she is, and what she stands for, and that she can do the greater works, she will be an invincible army. And Satan will be powerless before her. Hallelujah. I wonder how many today would say, Lord, I want all of you. I want all of you. I want to just continue to add more logs to the fire, Lord. Build it up brighter, brighter than ever, Lord, in my life. Yes, Lord. Father, Lord, you see the hands that were lifted all over this audience. My hand is up as well, Father. I want it all. Oh, Jesus. God, we just ask, Lord, that you would come and move upon every heart and every life. Lord, we know there's some that's kind of watched it on the outside, and outward edges, fringes. Lord, we want to welcome them in with all of our heart. Their families don't have to fall apart. Their families don't have to fall into the dust and ashes, be all that left. But God, they can have the same fire of God burning in their homes and in their life. God, may the fire of God go to every daddy, to every mama. Say, God, let me open my heart to you, Lord. Open my life to you, Lord. Father, I want you more than anything. Grant it, Father. Grant it, Lord Jesus. We're so thankful for the works that you're doing among us, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord, for the changes you brought in my family, my children, Lord. Lord, I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the visitation you've given us. Lord, I want to thank you, Father, for touching lives. And Lord, every manifestation of your spirit, every moving of the spirit. Lord, I thank you for every hand that was raised every voice that was lifted up, every dance, every shout, Lord, I thank you for it. 
thank you, Lord, that this can be a place that you can feel free to move and to touch and to change lives. I'm thankful, Lord, this can be a place that devils are exposed and they can't stay in God's people. Thank you, Lord. Lord, may the light ever bright, more brightly shine, Lord, that every demon in hell be exposed. I believe we are back in the days of Ananias and Sapphira. Sin can't stay any longer. Oh, God. May fathers take sharp knives and circumcise sin out of their homes, out of their lives, Lord, out of their hearts. Granted, Father, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, while you're here, I just want to thank you, Father, for Brother Ron's healing. Thank you, Lord, that it's going to be okay. Thank you, Father, that organs will begin to work again and sickness will just begin to be pushed back. I pray that the light of God will shine so brightly in that body it drive back every sick cell, every sick, Lord, place in his body, and the organs would awake to the resurrection power of Almighty God. Lord, I, I heard, Lord, that uh, cancer has done a work on his pancreas. Lord, I know it wasn't too many years ago cancer had done a work on some lungs. It seemed impossible. But here sets today a new set of lungs. Nothing is too hard for you. Lord, may the presence of God just settle over him. I pray in such a real way, continually flow over him and flood him. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Thank you, Father, for this healing. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.
to make that your prayer tonight. Amen. God, drive every bit of formalism and lukewarmness out of my life. Amen. We're called to be the bride of Christ. A bride is madly in love with her bridegroom. Amen. There's a passion there. There's something in there, a drive on the inside of them that makes them all give worship and love to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Tell you what, invite him to just do a greater work in your life and put everything else aside. Just determine I'm going to serve you with all of my heart. I need more of you. I want more of you. Can you just sing it again and just worship him tonight with all your heart and say, I need more of you. 